please turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Our focus text this evening is going to be verses 18 through 22. We're going to wrap up chapter 2. Before we hear the reading and preaching of God's word, join me again in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come to open your word this evening. We pray, Lord, for your spirit's work in helping us to receive and to understand that which your word declares. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would bless us by your word and encourage us and motivate us and give us zeal to live according to what you command and reveal to us. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Hear now the very word of God written for you and for me today. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. The grass withers and its flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Well, beloved in Christ, the destructive things they teach and the dreadful place that they are going to are both very eye-opening pieces of the portrait that the Apostle Peter paints of false teachers. For though they portray themselves to the flock as being one of them, one of the sheep, a closer examination shows clearly that they are imposters. They are enemies of Christ and his people, not fellow children, of the living God. And as Peter has become progressively more detailed in his description of them, he has also been more direct, even sharp, in what he has taught us, hasn't he? As their doctrines show us much about their hearts, it is all the more helpful to pull the curtain back and to expose what is truly present in their hearts. And this is exactly what Peter did for us in his third piece of this portrait. And what did he show us? He showed us that false teachers are experts in costume design, storytelling, smoke and mirrors. They dress their words nice and smooth. Their presentation is excellent enough to deceive and to turn some who are walking with Christ. But yet Peter pulled the wool off of these wolves, didn't he? He exposed these teachers as the beasts 
that they truly were. Call him insensitive. Call him calloused and mean, and there were many who would. But yet Peter truly was being a good shepherd. He was being a faithful minister, as he knew that wolves left to play with and even instruct the sheep leads to dead sheep. For the reality of these teachers' hearts was that they were dark and depraved. That's what the light that Peter shone on last week in the context, that's what it made clear. They were shameless as they reveled in their sin, even openly in the day. They have lustful, covetous eyes that don't cease from sin, he said. They have the greed of Balaam in their hearts and follow the path that leads to death. They appear to be full of life, but they truly have no life or substance in them. Yet Jesus does. Yet Jesus does, and this is the contrast and the, the marvelous contrast, really, that Peter showed us between him and them. And so Peter's final piece of this portrait is focused on exposing more of their deceptions. And this morning, or rather this evening, let's consider their great swelling words, their empty words, in verses 18 and 19. The end that is worse than the beginning, in verse 20. And the proverb that a dog returns to his own vomit, in verses 21 and 22. Now as we look at verse 18a, we see Peter speak of these great words that would come out of their mouths when he says, For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, and we'll pause there for a moment. So false teachers deceive with these words. They have great swelling words, as Peter says. What they say sounds great. It sounds wonderful even. It's too good to be true, maybe. They promise their listeners the world. And it's very tempting to listen to them and not reject them. It's very tempting even to follow them. But yet these words, though they are swollen, like they are full of excessive weight, they are like huge bulging balloons that tempt believers to be like children, excited about imagining what could possibly be inside that balloon. Kind of like a piñata that kids know is full of life. It's full of candy, right? And they go after it. They're getting in line. They want that stick. They want more wax than the kid in front of them. But only to find that, the, that this burst balloon was full of hot air. The now broken apart piñata has nothing inside. It's empty. And that is the experience of deception, isn't it? The Apostle Paul gave a similar warning to the saints in Ephesus in Ephesians 5, verse 6, when he said, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And so, my friends, we must be on guard against deception. For we know the tools and the tricks, as Peter has revealed these things to us, even here. We know this tool and trick of such false teachers. They're not truthful. They want to deceive. We also know God's judgment against those 
food to see. In Colossians 2, 8, Paul said this to the church there. He said, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Remember this, beloved. Anyone who tries to teach you or to persuade you to follow a path that isn't according to Christ is cheating you. They are deceiving you. So Peter says that false teachers strategically use their words to allure, to entice. Their words are like drugs for our ears. What sounds so good is laced with what is really bad. The hook is hidden. It's, it's encased in the bait and that deception. And that bait is our sinful flesh. My friends, false teachers are like counterfeit spiritual fishermen. They are. They're like counterfeit spiritual fishermen. Remember in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, where Jesus called Peter and Andrew to do what? To, to drop their nets and to follow him. And Christ would make them fishers of men. And here it is clear that the false teachers never only make their words sound good. As they fish for the souls of men, they also set the hook with other senses. Senses like feelings, both emotional and physical, to draw believers into sin. And this is exactly what Peter describes in the second half of verse 18. Look there with me. He says, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. And so, who specifically are these false teachers going after? They're going after new converts. They go after un unstable and unsteady souls, as Peter mentioned in verse 14. Keep in mind what's true of converts and new converts. They are believers who have more recently escaped their old lives of sin and error by the saving grace of God in Christ. Their foundation on Christ, their knowledge and their stability is growing and it's being nurtured. But it is young, it's new. Like young lambs, they are easier for the wolves to pick off and to separate from the rest of the flock. They are easier to lure with the feelings of the flesh and to draw them back into carrying out the sins of the flesh, even as Peter said, those that they've escaped from. And this is one of the reasons that Paul included men not being new converts or novices, as he referred to, as a requirement to hold office. And he explains why. 1 Timothy 3.6 Lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. So, beloved, as the false teachers' swollen words have strains of arrogance in them, New converts can run into the danger of being proud and arrogant in their newfound zeal and their excitement and their naivete. Many of you have likely seen this often. Some churches come across excited, 
with new converts and immediately do what? They put them in positions of leadership or authority or they send them out quickly into the mission fields. And whereas new converts need to be fed, they need to be grounded, they need to be nurtured, they need to grow in spiritual maturity before such appointments should be made and before such appointments should happen. Sadly, there are many churches that don't see that. But what else is true of false teachers and their empty words? What else does Peter teach us? Look at verse 19. While they promise them liberty, he says, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. So the false teachers promise, again, they promise the world. They promise them liberty. They promise them freedom. But remember what Christian liberty really is. It's the liberty that Jesus has purchased for us to serve and obey God. That's what Christian liberty is. And we can understand more of the details of this liberty. The Westminster Confession of Faith really helps us in chapter 20, section 1 which is the chapter of Christian liberty and liberty of conscience. There we read, The liberty which Christ hath purchased for believers under the gospel consists in their freedom from the guilt of sin, the condemning wrath of God, the curse of the moral law, and in their being delivered from this present evil world, bondage to Satan and dominion of sin, from the evil of afflictions, the sting of death, the victory of the grave, and everlasting damnation as also in their free access to God, and their yielding obedience to Him, not out of slavish fear, but a childlike love and a willing mind. So we see wonderful things here in Christian liberty. We see wonderful things in the true freedom that Christ has purchased and brought about for us. We see our yielding of obedience to Him. We see our free access to God through Christ. We see that it's not out of a slavish fear. We have a godly fear. We have the fear of God before our eyes and in our hearts. But it's not a slavish fear. It's not a fear of terror. It's a fear of awe and reverence to our great and gracious Heavenly Father. We have a childlike love for our God, a willing mind to serve Him as he has freed us to do so. And yet the liberty that, that the false teachers promote is freedom from living in obedience to Christ. It's the exact opposite. And rather turning to have licentiousness in sin. That's the freedom that they were promoting. They were luring people into their lusts, into shame. Not freedom to obey Christ. They wanted and encouraged the people to sin and sin much as they followed the devices and the desires of their own hearts. Similar to Peter ripping off the wool off the wolves in the big reveal of verse 12. He shines light here to the living contradiction of who they are. They proclaim liberty while they themselves are slaves to corruption. Again, this is what they present. 
but as the light of Christ and his word is shown on them, it is revealed that they aren't who they say they are. And what they say is true of them is not true of them. They say, come and have liberty. Come and have freedom like we do. But yet they are slaves to corruption themselves. Their own lusts have gotten a complete victory over them. They are actually in bondage to them. They are conquered and they're captivated by sin. And knowing this should prevent us from being led astray by such seducers. It really should. We should have our eyes wide open by the word of God. We should have a watchful and a sober look and a care about those who would desire to influence us. Especially in the church. But Peter goes on to speak of how the end is worse than the beginning. And what does he mean by this? Look at verse 20. He says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Here is the glorious work of Christ in the gospel on display, beloved. The effects of sin and the world in the hearts of men and women is complete pollution. Complete uncleanness. Total contamination. And yet Jesus has taken many who are polluted. Many who were dead in spiritual darkness. Contaminated to the bone. And he's given us true escape from the pollution. Making us alive in him and clean through the rescue and redemption that he has accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection. We know Christ. And we walk with him in the light, not in the polluted waters of sin. The false teachers Peter speaks of not only desire to lure and to gain followers, but they desire their followers to be overcome by sin, just as they are. The water's nice. It's nice and warm in here. Come on in and join the party. The water really stinks, doesn't it? Don't you smell that? Isn't it, isn't it just my nose? Or No, this is what it really is. This is Peter's point. See them for who they are. See them for what they are doing. They are trying to bring and draw God's people into such polluted water, into such sin. And they further, they desire us to become entangled as we bathe in what we were once bound to. See Peter's words about that there. And in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 13, it says, The wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will come through trouble. Praise the Lord for that. Those who belong to Christ, those are who are his, yes, we go through troubles. We go through falls and sin. Yes, we go through various things that afflict us even such temptations by teachers such as these. But by God's grace, though we may fall, the Lord raises us up. By his Spirit, he works in us. He draws us to repentance. We confess, we come to him 
in true faith, and we confess our sins to him, and we, and we know his forgiveness in Christ. The Spirit gives us zeal to walk rightly with him and for him. And so praise God for his work of preservation in the lives of his people. Praise him for the Spirit's work of getting sin out of our hearts and lives more and more. And keep in mind that entanglement is similar to getting with old sins to the point in which one doesn't want to leave them again. That's really what Peter is describing here in this entanglement. It's like walking through thick bushes and thorny vines in the woods, getting snagged and caught in ways that they can't, or in this case, they don't even want to get out of on their own. And really what Peter's describing here is the sad state of apostasy and apostates. Well-known commentator Matthew Henry said this, When men are once entangled, they are easily overcome. Therefore, Christians should keep close to the word of God and watch against those who seek to perplex and bewilder them. And that because if men who have once escaped are again entangled, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Brothers and sisters, unrepentant backsliders are in, uh, are in the end more culpable than those who never made a profession of faith in the first place. And why is this true? Because apostasy is worse than ignorance. Apostasy is worse than ignorance. And notice how Peter goes on to describe this in the Proverbs that he speaks of in verse 21 and 20. In verse 21, he says, For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. To know the righteous way and to turn from it is worse than not knowing it at all, he says. This is Peter's point. For in turning away, they in essence condemned that glorious way of righteousness and showed themselves to despise Christ's command. What was Christ's call? What's Christ's command? Repent and believe the gospel. What is Christ's call? If you love me, keep my commandments. Do as I tell you to do. Live rightly in obedience before me. But notice that Peter goes on to give a helpful then illustration of what this looks like. Those who do such things are fools. Verse 22, but it has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. And so Peter here quotes Proverbs 26, 11. And in Proverbs 26, 11, we see these same words that Peter quotes plus a few more. I'll read it. It says, As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. And in Matthew 7, verse 6, Jesus warns, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. My friends, these people returning to their old sins, their old lifestyles, shows that though they had the knowledge of God, they were never truly saved by His saving grace. A washed pig is still a washed pig. 
Or as many in Texas would say, you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig, right? I'll leave you with this. See the completed portrait of false teachers here in this four-part painting that Peter has given us in this entire chapter. They are depraved, wicked people who teach destructive doctrines and heresies. They seek to deceive and to draw off as many as they can, yet lo, their doom is sure. And so don't give an ear to them. Don't give them a second of your real estate in your mind or in your heart. Know the danger that listening to them would bring. See that in these verses and be encouraged and all the more committed to being on guard and aware. And so guard your heart and your mind well. Guard and, and press back against those who seek to seduce and deceive and to destroy you and your family and the church. Because that bigger picture is for sure in mind. Don't be fooled by that. They're coming after you, but they also want your family. And in fact, we know who their father is, and he wants to destroy God's people. But guard, and guard it by standing on and bathing in the word, devoting yourself to prayer, knowing true liberty, true Christian liberty in Christ. And walking then in the light of Christ, following his holy commands, refusing to take one step off of the way of righteousness. Refusing to put the tip of one of your toes back in those polluted waters of the world that you were rescued from. That is really what we must do, and that is the challenge. We all know the danger. We know the temptation. We know how easy it is to put that toe in and the toe goes to the foot, and then it's our whole body. But beloved, what has Christ paid for? What has Christ freed you from? From what are you no longer in bondage to? Live like it. Love your Savior. Put the, put the most sophisticated guard, as he even describes and teaches us in his word, Guard your hearts, guard your family, pray for and uh, pray for your, your leaders, for our session, for the elders, for the ministers of Christ's church around the world as they seek to guard the church. And all of us in those ways, we need to keep sin out of all of those areas. Not bathe in them. Not pollute our minds, our bodies, our hearts with such things. Not go back to those things that we once played with. But walk the narrow road. Pursuing Christ, loving Christ, walking in obedience to him because we love him and we know his deep love for us and his promises to us and the inheritance that is ours in him. It is worth the walk, beloved. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together.